Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. On tonight as we read a passage of scripture this evening that will help us and get us on track this evening. Titus chapter 2 and verse number 1. And uh, Titus really coming to a key uh, spot in this, uh, in this book, Paul, as he writes this uh, letter to his son in the faith, Titus, really going to challenge him about making uh, it practical for the believers there in the island of Crete. And so, uh, Titus chapter 2 and verse number 1, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience, the aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded, In all things, showing thyself, Titus that is, a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Read verse number one out loud with me. Ready, begin. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Father, would you guide us tonight in your word? This is your word. It is authoritative in our lives. We will accept it uh, into our hearts. Lord, we want to do it this evening, not just hear it. We want to do it, apply it into our lives this week. So make it practical for us, we pray. And I pray for your anointing and your guidance in this time. I thank you for each person that is gathered here tonight. Give us power to listen and, uh, Lord, power to hear and to apply, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So go back over to chapter number 1 and verse number 9, would you? The Bible says there, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. This is a part of the qualifications of the bishops or the elders that Titus was to put in place over every church body, over every local church throughout the island nation of Crete there in the Mediterranean. And he was to make sure that these men, who were to be blameless and many other things, uh, that these men would hold fast, that they would hold on, and that they would keep the foundation of the Word of God, that they not veer to their own understanding or to their own words, but they would hold fast the Word of God, that they would hold it forth, that they would stand upon it, that they wouldn't waffle on the Word of God. And so as we get through there, 
Uh, Titus is told by Paul, make sure that you take that same faithful word, make sure that you take that and you deal with the rebellion that is going on in the island nation of Crete, the different believers that, uh, especially those of the circumcision, those that, um, that have uh, transferred or converted out of Judaism, uh, especially uh, they're the ones that are, are, are causing all sorts of trouble within the churches. Deal with the, um, the rebellion that is going on. And the rebellion specifically, not against Titus or a man, but the rebellion against the truth of God's, God's word. And so that's really the, the, big, um, the big deal that um, Titus needed to deal with there. He also needed to be watching out for those that were repentant and help them to be restored. God's word given to us is always meant for our restoration. God's correction is always meant for our restoration. And then he was lastly to be able to, with the word of God, holding forth the word of God to be able to discern who are those that are, have gotten to a point that they have rejected and they're, they're, they're not willing to take a step forward? And as the Bible says here, they've become reprobate or worthless to the cause of Christ. Not that they cannot, that God wants them. God's always desiring people to come back to him. Uh, don't we realize that? If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. But of their own choice, they're of no profit to the cause of Christ. No profit to the gathering because they're they're refusing to repent and it's the word of God that helps discern that it's not our own opinions it's the word of God that helps discern that and so Titus was to hold fast the faithful word there in the island nation of Crete but it wasn't just hold fast the doctrine it wasn't just hold up the doctrine and preach the doctrine of of the deity of Jesus Christ and the doctrine of man's sin and the doctrine of of who God is the doctrine of the trinity and and so on it wasn't just to teach the doctrine of the holiness of God but it was to take those doctrines that he taught and holding fast the word of God and apply it into the lives of people and so we get to chapter number two and verse number one but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine hey Titus Take the doctrine that you're teaching. Take the doctrine that you're confronting the rebels with. Take the doctrine that you're trying to restore with, and I want you to apply it into the church. I want you to apply it to their lives. Connect the dots for the believers. Connect the dots. Take doctrine and connect it to their specific life. Connect it to Monday morning at 7 o'clock. Connect it into their lives. You see what was going on here in, in Crete is there was a chasm between the lips of God's people and the lives of God's people they weren't matching up they would hear things they would talk about things they talk about the faithful word but they weren't matching up when they went to work on Monday and when they they came home from work on Wednesday it wasn't matching up so there was a chasm that had developed there that Titus was responsible hey connect the dots for them now, I don't hear it so much anymore, but it, it still is, is around, and, and, and it, it happens a lot of times in the, in the churches that, that are very much more seeker-sensitive, that there, there comes a point where they just don't apply the Word of God. They talk about the Word of God, and we'll even talk about the glories of who God is, and they'll, they'll say a lot of lofty things, but they, they stop short of applying the Word of God into the lives of people. They stop short of, hey, calling sin, sin. You know, they stop short of that. Now, friends, the fact of the matter is you will not find that, that mindset, that philosophy inside of Scripture. It's not there. And so the, the fact is, Titus was told by Paul, hey, make sure that you are applying it. Speak the things that become sound doctrine. God doesn't want us just to hear the word. He wants us to do the word. What does that mean? There has to be specifics. There has to be instructions. Just like we've learned over the last last day and a half friends there's specifics god's on uh, god's word tells us to pray doesn't it 
tells us to seek God, come boldly to the throne of grace. But yesterday, as we gave testimony in this room, many of you said, boy, it's just so helpful to have a tool, to have something practical. As practical as pray five minutes here, pray five minutes here, think about these uh, attributes of God, as practical as that. What a blessing. What is that? That is applying the word of God into our lives. And there's sometimes positive application and sometimes negative application, but we are to do the word of God. It's easy to know about the word of God. It's even easy to quote verses from the word of God, but not actually apply it into our lives. God doesn't want that. He wants a church, a healthy church, is going to be made up of of application or applying the word of God into our lives. And so I want us to, to really answer this question. What does within a healthy church, what what is it, uh, what is it that, that we can see in the application of the Word of God? Uh, what was Titus supposed to be doing? How was he supposed to be applying it? And I want you to notice in verse number one, notice how it says here, but speak thou the things that become sound doctrine. Say that one more time with me. But speak thou the things that become sound doctrine. What is he to do? What's the command there? What's the second word, friends? Speak. Speak. Speak the things that become sound doctrine. Speak it. This is uh, life application in Titus's instance and in our church here today. Life application must be spoken. It must be declared. It cannot be skirted about. It cannot be left just for, and some people get really sanctimonious on this, we'll let the Holy Spirit do all the application. Now the fact of the matter is, Titus, as a preacher, was told by another preacher who got it from God. He's the penman of this, this letter of, of Titus. He says, hey, make sure you speak it. Make sure you speak it. So it has to be enunciated, and this is a pastoral responsibility. This is a, the responsibility of Titus and all the other um, bishops, all the other pastors that he would ordain in those churches. Speak the things expressed with words and do it over and over and over and over again is the idea of the, of the word here. It, it is, it's to be your ongoing practice. In fact, we find that the Old Testament priests were responsible to do this as well. We find in Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse number 26, her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. So they, they didn't talk about the difference. They didn't really uh, divide the word of God uh, right. They didn't, they didn't enunciate that to the people, but it goes on. Neither have showed the difference between the unclean and the clean and have hid their eyes from my Sabbath and I uh, I am profaned among them. So the priest didn't do their job. God expected them, hey, I want you to show the difference between the clean and the unclean. I want you to help my people to understand what is right and what is wrong. What is that? It's application. It's application. It's taking truth and applying it into our, into our lives. And I've said this before, if it's a pastor's responsibility to do that, to preach the word, to apply the word into our lives, it is our responsibility before God to receive it and to, uh, and to apply it into our lives, to receive it. The Bible says in um, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 20, despise not prophesying. We are not to despise the preaching of God's word. We are to receive it with gratefulness. I want you to turn over to 1 Peter chapter number 5 and verse number 1. 1 Peter chapter number 5 and verse number 1. Let's look together there. 1 Peter chapter number 5 and verse number 1. Some important instructions uh, to, the, to the preachers and specifically to elders as, 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 Paul, as Peter gives this. 1 Peter 5 and verse number 1. Once you're there, would you say an amen? 
All right, 1 Peter 5, the elders, and by the way, just let me say this once again because we, we, we need to constantly lay the groundwork for this. Inside of Scripture, you hear, you hear the word elders, bishops, and you'll see sometimes in different churches you'll have different tiers and multiple different offices. As Baptists, how many offices do we believe in? How, how many offices? All right, two. Brother Huey, you're right on. You get a grade A, A plus right there. It was your wife that was feeding that to you. All right, very good. Very good. At least you're honest. All right, it's two offices, pastor and the deacons. Now, inside of Scripture, you will find the word bishop. It's a perfectly good word. You'll find the word elder. You'll find the word uh, um, um, pastor and teacher and, and so on. So there are multiple different words that describe the function or the job description of a pastor. Uh, an elder is, is one who, who is, had, has maturity, has respect, but he has some oversight of, and he's responsible for, for that. And so multiple different ones. So the elders, which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ. Peter had a, 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 another office, the office of the apostle, because he was a witness of, of Jesus Christ from the beginning and, uh, and Jesus Christ as resurrected. And so he says, I'm a witness of the sufferings of, of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Now here's where he gets down to the instruction to the elders, to, to pastors, feed the flock of God which is among you. Take the oversight thereof. And not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, not for gain, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples of or to the flock. And so he says there, hey, I want you to feed the flock. It's the responsibility of the pastor to feed the flock, to speak the application, to speak and open up God's word. And so that's the, the responsibility. Let's dive a little bit on deeper. This is a, not only a pastoral responsibility, it is a practical responsibility. Look at verse 1. But speak the things which, what? Become sound doctrine. Now, now, you need to have your Bibles open here tonight. But speak the things which, what? One more time. But speak the things which, what? Be, we're all going to get together on this. Get your Bibles open here tonight. Uh, let's, uh, let's look at the Word of God. But speak the things which, what? Become sound doctrine. All right, so this matter of becoming really is this word that, that is appropriate to. Uh, I want you to, to think about a scale uh, for a moment. One of those scales maybe like we use in Adventure Camp, if you've been here for the penny change offering, the, um, the, the, uh, the, the big black scale there, and we put uh, the girls' um, bucket on one side and the guys' bucket on the other side, and uh, typically on one of those nights, uh, it's either going to be one or the other. Really, unless something's malfunctioning in the scale, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be dead on. I mean, it would be, it would be quite a, a miracle and uh, an amazing thing if it, if it was a total tie. But nonetheless... Um, I want you to think about that scale. Now, you and I have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're saved here tonight, if you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you've been bought by, by his blood. And the fact is, uh, he asks us to walk in balance with that and to walk appropriate to that. And so our life ought to match. Our life ought to um, balance out with Jesus Christ. Now, that's a, that's a growing a growing uh, effort every single day, right? That's where the rubber meets the road, where to be balancing out. But that's the idea of this word to become, to be appropriate or to be worthy or to be balanced out with. And so here's, here's the idea. Uh, Titus, make sure that you're speaking the things that balance out with doctrine. Uh, what is the living that matches the holiness of God, the doctrine of the holiness of God? 
what's the living, the lifestyle of a believer that would match uh, the deity of Jesus Christ and would show that forth? What's the living that would match uh, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? All right, turn over to, to Philippians chapter number one and verse number 27. Philippians chapter number one and verse number 27. Philippians 1 and verse number 27. And this would be a good uh, verse to, to mark down in your Bible. Philippians 1 and verse number 27. The Bible says this, Only let your conversation, your lifestyle, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. There it is again. Be as it becometh the gospel. Your life, my life, is to, is to balance out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard someone say something along the lines of, well, I didn't think Christians did that. Have you ever heard that? Oh, I didn't think Christians talked that way. I've told you this story before. I remember being on a hot summer, uh, on a hot summer day on top of a roof. We were roofing uh, when I worked in construction. This is back when I was in college. And I remember two of the guys that were working with me, they kind of uh, caught me and they asked me a question. Uh, Do you ever cuss? And it was just kind of an, you know, just out of the blue type of question. We weren't really having a a conversation about that. Do you ever cuss? And I said, no, I I, I don't. And they said, we didn't think, uh, we didn't think so. But they, they were, they were, they were trying to figure this whole thing out. But I can guarantee you if I, if I had, it would have undermined every bit of my testimony. They knew I was a preacher boy. They knew it. And they, they're looking for it. And some of these guys are still uh, uh, friends to the, uh, even to this day and still in contact to this day. But I'm telling you, they, they were watching the life. Does it balance out? We, we haven't seen this, but do, does this, is this really true? Listen, when we go to work, men and women, when we go to work, the world is watching. Does their life match their message? They say they're a Christian, but do they work like a Christian? Does it balance out? So here's what's going on with Titus. Hey, make sure you're speaking the things that balance out with sound doctrine, with healthy doctrine. Make sure you're declaring that. It's a very practical responsibility that he had. So I want you to make sure you're declaring what, uh, the, the, uh, what uh, becomes or what balances out with healthy, correct, right, biblical doctrine. Declare the particular life actions that match correct healthy doctrine. Take Bible truth and make it very, very practical. God is very practical. Have you read the book of Proverbs? The whole book of Proverbs is the practicing of of God's truth. It's wisdom. It's the skillful use of knowledge or the skillful use of truth or the right application of God's truth in our lives. And that's what we are to do. So how important it is for us to give attention to this, this responsibility, how important it is for pastors to give attention to this responsibility. It's very practical, and by it we grow. I want you to turn again. I don't often have you turn, but we're, we're having fun tonight. Go to Nehemiah. You say, Pastor, you're wearing us out. Turn to Nehemiah, chapter number 8, and verse number, uh, verse number 1. I want to make sure that you still know where books are in the Bible. And yes, I do have notes up here, and I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not preaching off the fly, so I'm, that's not why I'm asking you to, uh, to turn. But just tonight, these were a little bit more extended passages of Scripture. Nehemiah, chapter number 8. And this is very interesting. Nehemiah comes right after Ezra, and is 345 in my Bible probably not in yours. Nehemiah chapter number 8 and verse number 1. Now I want you to look at this because this is when Ezra, who was a scribe, who was tasked with the responsibility of applying the word of God into God's people's lives. Here it is. 
And so he, uh, this gives a scenario where they're all together and all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses. That's the first five books of the Bible, which the Lord had commanded uh, to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both men and women, and all that could hear with understanding. And all that could hear with understanding. All right, I have a question tonight. We have kids here. Uh, what do you think that means, kids? All that can hear with understanding. There were some kids, about some of your ages tonight. Some of you would be under that. But most of you would be right there in that, in that crowd. You're not a baby anymore. You can understand words and so on. So I want you to get the picture, kids, that there was, a, there was a day in Jerusalem where there were kids that were gathered in the street. There were teenagers that were gathered in the street, right? Uh, there were teenagers gathered right there in the street with the adults, and they were going to listen to the word of God. So we, and we go on, verse number uh, three. And he read there, therein before the street that was before the water gate. Now catch this, from the morning until midday. From the morning until midday. How long is that? At least four hours. Somewhere in the middle of the day. And so he's reading a while before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra, the scribe, stood upon a pulpit. We're not talking about standing up on the pulpit. He wasn't getting super excited. He's talking about a platform, okay? He, uh, this, is the, this was called the pulpit in that, at that point. So he stood upon the pulpit, which they had made for the purpose, and beside him, and it gives a, a group of, of other uh, preachers or spiritual leaders, I should say, that were there with him. Verse number five, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, not he wasn't put on a pedestal and they worshiped him. He was just standing, just like I am, on a platform, on a pulpit, and, and it was for practical purposes of sound and so on. And he, when he opened it, all the people did what? They stood up. They stood up. And then notice verse number six, and Ezra blessed the people, the great, uh, blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, which means so be it, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And I want you to go to verse number eight. So, this is a summary. So, they read in the book in the law of God distinctly. Say distinctly. Distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Here's what happened. They opened up the word, they read it, they explained it, and then they applied it. They read it, they explained it, and then they applied it. That is biblical preaching. If God should move you to another city and you need to go looking for a church, you need to find a church that preaches the Bible biblically. That is a biblical pattern right there. You can't get more biblical than that. I don't care what a Bible college teaches. I don't care what anyone teaches. You can't get more biblical than opening up the word, reading it carefully. Do you notice that some, uh, sometimes as we read the word here, we aren't racing to it and then close the Bible and stop looking at the Bible? This is, this is it. This is the text, right? This is what we need. We need to open it up, and we don't try to just race through and just get done so the preacher can uh, say what he says. No, the importance is we, we read it with distinction. 
we try to read it clearly, and then, uh, then we uh, cause to understand, explain what does it mean, and then, hey, cause there to be understanding. How does this apply into our lives? So it was a very practical responsibility on the part of Titus there in Crete. What does this doctrine look like if I were to live it out in my life tomorrow? What does it look like in my life? What does this truth look like in my life? And we need to ask that question of ourselves. When we're reading through in our devotions, when you uh, get up tomorrow morning and you, you be, open your word and you begin to pray, what does this verse look like if I apply it into my life today? How will my life be different when I obey this, when I put it into practice? Now, uh, as I mentioned before, some people say that God doesn't care about uh, specifics. He just cares about our, are you with me? Our heart. As long as your heart's in the right place. And I say a little bit uh, facetiously, but the fact is, we would not be okay with that when it comes to a, a heart surgeon. We wouldn't be. Not for a moment. You know, he has a good heart. He's going to be operating on you. He has a good heart. He doesn't always pay attention to the details, but he has a good heart. God does care about the details. God was so detailed. I mean, look at creation itself. God is so detailed. Look at how he laid out the, we preached a couple weeks back, uh, Exodus 35 and 36. Look how he laid out the, the very specific details of the, of the tabernacle. It needs to be this, and it needs to be red, red on material, and it needs to be shed on wood. It needs to be just so very specific. Yeah, very specific. God does care about. He even tells us in Ephesians 5 and verse number 15, see then that ye walk circumspectly. And he didn't say, as long as you walk with a good heart, it's okay. it's okay. No, he told us our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know them? And we can't just leave, oh, he has a good heart. Some people can have a good heart and be, I have a good heart that's sincerely wrong, right? We, we've all been there. And so specifics matter. They matter very much to God. And so this, this life application inside of a healthy church is not only to be, uh, be one that is spoken, it is also to be one that is very specific. And here's where we go a little bit more specifically. Look at verse number two, that the aged men be sober. Now, how many of you, as we read through that, you're like, I don't like that word aged. But it's there. And it's a fact of life. Sometimes we're a little bit more aged. Now, for the ladies around here, we, we call you more mature, is what we call you, right? You're not, you're not old. You're, you're just more mature. And that's how, how that goes. But uh, the Bible has it here tonight. We're going to use this word aged for both uh, men and women. So the aged men. Now, look here. It must be specific. And, and, and Paul says, hey, I want you to apply it down to the, to the men that are aged. Now, now, think about it. More than likely... We're talking about those that are here, according to this word, maybe 50 plus. Okay, so we don't, we don't like that, especially as we get closer to that. Now, here's what I, I, I need for you to do and help me out here tonight. I need any, any man who is 50 plus to just take us on to stand up here for me tonight. Just, just stand up. We're going to do this. With, all right, so there we, there we have. Here, here are the, Brother Larry, when did you turn 50? Oh, well, I should stop here. I'm sorry. Uh, and, and nonetheless, okay, here's, here, is the, here are the men 
that verse number two are talking to. All right, let's, uh, let's be seated and, and take the admonition. And so he says, uh, let the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. So there's some specific responsibility that is given to you that, that are just standing within the context of the local church just like ours. And there in Crete and here at Grace Baptist Church. Now, remember this, at the age of 20, at the age of 20, God held, in the Old Testament, God held men responsible. And you remember back in the wilderness, it was at the age of 20 and up that were held responsible for the unbelief and not going into the promised land. Everyone, everyone 20 years and up were the ones that were held responsible and died in the wilderness. It was the generation under that that, that had the, the next chance to really do what is right. Okay, So at the age of 20 is when God holds you responsible. I, I want uh, the young people to really hear this. At the age of 20, my dad called me, and uh, I don't know if he remembers this, but I do, because it kind of was one of those, those calls, and I don't know if it was just for that call or if there were other things, but I just remember distinctly, at the age of 20, him saying something along the lines of, hey, you are responsible now before God for your actions. Yes, sir. <laughs> wow. And I remember also in that same conversation, uh, saying, listen, I know that I have marriage coming up a- ahead of me, and I really, I, I'm going to need your input on, the, on that matter. And, and I'm thankful for parents that helped, uh, helped me through that, that phase and prayed with me through that phase of life. Um, so that doesn't mean at the age of 20 you stop listening to parents and, and stop being wise and heeding their advice. It's just you're, now, you're responsible. That's an Old Testament uh, um, principle there, uh, especially with the children of Israel. Now, what we find oftentimes in the, in the Old Testament is that it seems that from the age of 20 to, uh, to 30, though there was much responsibility laid, and as soon as a, man, a young man became a, 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 a man or a boy became a man at the age of 12, uh, it, it, there's a lot more responsibility than even we see in our society, but at the age of 20 to 30, there was a preparation for, for your life work, preparing, as Proverbs says, preparing your field uh, without, and, and there's a preparation for life's work. But in the case of the priest, many times they began serving at the age of 30, and they served until the age of 50. So they did the, the work inside the tabernacle or the temple from, uh, in that 20-year that span of time. I remember uh, about at the age of 28, um, how many of you remember uh, Brother Velcarcel? Uh, Martin Velcarcel, he was one of our missionaries. The, um, and so they're down uh, in the south still ministering in the Spanish church. But uh, he had come through for a report, and I think it was just like a Wednesday night, but he invited me out uh, and said, let's go to coffee. And so we did. We went over to the old Caribou Coffee at the Green, and we sat down, and he goes, what do you want to do with your life? Now, he didn't know where I was in life. He, I knew of him, and I, uh, I had a, a, a common, uh, or I had a friend uh, that was one of his nephews and so on. And so we, we sat down, and what do you want to do with your life? And I said, well, God's called me to be a pastor. And as clear as day, I will not forget it, he looks at me and he says, you need to wait till you're 30. Well, what he didn't know is that my wife and I were right then in, in that week. We were really praying because we were torn. God had put this call on my heart at the age of 17. And it was, as the Bible says, it, it is, if any man desires the office of a bishop, he, he desires after, he lusts after it, not in a wrong way. It just says there in, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, if any man desire the office of the bishop, he desireth a good work. So it, it was that burning desire. It was, boy, I want, I want to pastor. And I, 
And I thought, well, you know what? I didn't think that the Lord would keep me here in Kettering. I thought the Lord was going to push me on. So in my heart, all this is going on. And I'm praying, God, you got to do something. You called me when I was 17. I'm 28. And, you know, time's flying. You know how it goes in our minds. And, and time's still flying. But you know how it goes. And he says, you need to wait till you're, until you're 30. You know what? I, it was enough of a, a statement that uh, I, I called my wife after that. And I said, I think we just need to stay put and just see what the Lord has. And so we did, and it was about 31 that uh, when, back in 2015 when I started pastoring here. Now, I say all that to say, what, what gave him that, that statement? Back here, that's when the priest began to serve. When did Jesus begin to his public ministry? 30. So here we have it, 30 to 50. Now, at 50, we have the span of life that is the mentoring and modeling. Now, it's not that they weren't a model beforehand, but the mentoring and modeling. And you guys who just understood, you have a responsibility to Grace Baptist Church and to Almighty God to mentor and to model the upcoming generation. They're not just kids running around. It, these kids aren't just my responsibility. You have a responsibility to them. The teens here tonight, they're not just my responsibility and Brother Caleb's responsibility and, and those that are involved in their life. It is your responsibility to mentor and to model the Christian life before them. So how is that specific? How are you to have a conversation that becometh the gospel of Jesus Christ? That doctrine, how is that to be specific? Well, notice what he says. You're to be sober, not giving to extremes in behavior. You're to have a steadiness, especially not, uh, uh, especially, and it gets here, to this word uh, the sober has the idea of abstaining from alcohol as well. Not given to extremes. You're, you're steady in your mind. You're steady in your thinking and therefore in your actions. Uh, Ephesians 4 and verse number 14 that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. James talks about it in James 1.8, not being double-minded, so you're, you're steady. At the age of 50, you ought, to, you ought to have weathered some storms and come through some experiences with God that you have some steadiness about you. You're not thrown by the, the different trends that come along. And you know what? Our church needs that influence. And we need a rise in that influence. I just, I encourage you, take this verse, meditate upon it, be sober in all that you do. But he also says grave, the idea of dignified, being worthy of esteem and respect. Is your life worthy of esteem and respect? Are you living a life that, that people can look up to? Not because you're something special, but that you're just letting Christ live through your life. Uh, grave in all that you do. I'm often, I often think about this as we see a society uh, uh, full of people who may be beyond the age of 50 but aren't always respectable. You know what I mean? The Bible tells us a little bit about that. Proverbs 16, verse number 31. The hoary head, what is that? Yeah, that gray hair that, that comes along. The hoary head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. It's a crown of glory. It's a, distinguishing, it's a distinguishing thing if it's found inside the way of God. There's a lot of hoary heads in society today and even sometimes inside of our churches that, that boy, they say, well, we've been saved a long time, but they're not living a life that's worthy of respect. And God says to Titus, hey, make sure that you challenge 
the men that are over 50, make sure that you're challenging them to live a life that is grave, that is dignified, that they're taking their life seriously before God. Make sure that you challenge them to be temperate in all things, moderate, uh, wisely keeping self-control over one's passions and desires. Uh, they're, they're not 20-something anymore. And they, they've, they've progressed, they've matured along, and they need to have a grip on their life. They need to be able to say no to certain passions and desires in their life. They need to be exemplary in that. But they also need to be healthy or sound in their faith. They need to have a healthy understanding, a healthy grip on God's Word. The people in this church that ought to be the, the disciples of the next generation are the 50 plus. Now, it's not saying below that can't. I'm just saying, boy, that's the generation that ought to have a healthy grip on the faith. That ought to be able to answer from the Word of God. Oh, you have that question? Yeah, you have that question about the Word? Well, let me take you. God's been teaching me right here in the Word about that. You have questions about prayer? Well, God's been teaching me this about prayer. Here's a verse. And it's that generation, that age group within the church that is to be sound, that is to be healthy, that is to be full in their faith, in the, in the ministry of the gospel, in their understanding of the word of God. They should have a healthy understanding of the gospel. They also should have a healthy understanding of their place in Jesus Christ, their identity in Christ. It's not their career that defines them, like much of our world is defined by. It's themselves as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, that's what defines them, and they're comfortable with that. I am first and foremost a follower of Jesus Christ, then I'm a husband, then I'm a father, then I'm a granddad, then I'm a, I'm a construction worker, or whatever it is, but they have a healthy understanding of their identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our church, our young people, the 20-somethings and the 30-somethings of this church need that from your, gen, uh, your generation, your age category. One man said it this way, that the old men ought to be the balance wheel of every congregation. Now, in a congregation, there's always, there's always multi-generations happening. Praise the Lord, it ought to be that way, right? It ought to be that way, don't you agree? All right, help me out. And so there isn't, it shouldn't be an older generation that's suppressing what God is doing in the younger generation. You agree with me about that? We should be allowing God just to let them flourish and grow and even make mistakes, and, and, and I, I think this church is, is good at that. Uh, you, you voted in a 31-year-old 30, pastor, and so you know that there's going to be some mistakes along the way, and so um, praise the Lord for the, the, the generosity and the grace and all of that that go, um, goes along with that, but un understand uh, there ought not be conflict between the generations. There ought to be a, a desire, hey, let's, let's help them grow. Let's encourage them uh, uh, along in this but there ought to be a soundness in their own lives. Boy, this is where I am. We're balanced. We're going to provide some steadiness. Our words aren't going to be hasty. We're going to provide a steadiness to what God is doing in this place. And uh, I believe that that is the heart of our men, and I praise God for that. Let's continue to grow in that, but also to be sound in charity. Unconditional, or I should say, loyal love. Loyal love. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. Where, where are the 20-somethings and younger, the other generations going to see love portrayed if they don't see it in your life? If they don't see that heart of love towards the brethren. Oh, but that, that brother's bitter at that brother. Hold up, hold up. It's your generation 
that ought to be demonstrating the love of Jesus Christ and leading the way in this congregation, um, being a loving generation, sound or healthy, full of Christ's love, that loyal love that's just consistent, constantly seeking for restoration. What about sound and patience? They're steadfast in their endurance. They don't get thrown by the trials. Yeah, brother, I know those gas prices are pretty hard, but God's going to get us through this. I lived through the car age. You know what I'm saying? And where you bring perspective and you bring that healthy word, hey, we've been through trials before. We've been through hardships before, but God's got this. And that's, that's what needs to be coming out of your mouth in the lobby and in prayer time and in gathering together. That's what needs to be coming out of the 50-somethings of this, of this church family. This is just practical. Listen, it doesn't all come from the pastor. That wasn't God's design. It wasn't one man to everyone. God's design was that the body functioned together. You agree with me on that? Right, so there has to be this, and, and, and Titus is being told, listen, I want you to help the, um, the older men to see their place in the body. And you know what, what kind of makes me sad sometimes, especially as I see an older man get to a point where they're physically less able to engage in the work, the specific work of the ministry, maybe the, the, more the, the manual labor of the ministry, and they say, I, I just don't have anything to do anymore. I, I, I don't know what I can do. I just feel, I feel so helpless and worthless. To You know what? Friends, this passage of Scripture helps us to realize you will always have a part in this body, an, an important functioning part of this body, until the day you, uh, you die. It's so important to see your part. Work as long as you can. Uh, <laughs> do the manual labor as long as you can, but there might come a day where you aren't able to, um, to run with the, the young people, and you aren't able to knock doors door to door, but you're praying them on, you're encouraging them on, uh, you're helping them along, and your voice gives steadiness to the church, how important it is. We need your generation. You know, that just because you're of age doesn't mean you can't compromise. There's many that do. And there's many that will keep up a, a facade of healthiness, of healthy Christianity, and then, you know what, a storm comes in their life, and they crumble. More than anything, men, you need, to, you need to be developing what God is doing in our church right now. You ought to be the ones leading the way in this matter of prayer. You ought to be the ones that are saying, we need this more than ever. We need a model. And, and you say, I don't understand it all, but I'm going to get a hold of God, and I'm going I'm to take steps on this matter. Why? Because you need to stay strong in your relationship with God for another generation. You're needed uh, for the stability of this church. I'm going to go on, and, and I, I, as I was preparing this out, I just realized that we might not make it all the way through, and that's just fine. But I want to talk about the older women. What about the older women? Now, it says aged women. Uh, ladies, I, I guess you don't really like that, that term. The guys are like, who cares? Okay. But okay, uh, aged. Uh, it, it, the word age sounds just, mm. It's, it's a very, it's very, but again, it's to the 50, uh, 50 plus. And so ladies, here we go. I want you, if you're 50 plus, I want you to stand up. I might not, I might not live to tell about this night, but it's fine. So here we are. So you saw the guys stand up. And uh, so here, here are the ladies that are, are, are 50 plus. And we're not asking specific ages. We're just going to leave it right there. Thank you for standing. You're all 39 just identifying as 50 plus, all right? Um, but none, nonetheless, 
it says, let the aged women likewise, okay? In the same manner, all these things, we're all to be applying these things, right? It's not just this age group is to be sober, not this one. But in likewise, uh, that they be, um, they be in behavior as becometh holiness. There's that word becometh again. I don't need to re-explain it, but it's in balance with holiness. So specifically, Titus is to tell the Cretan women who are 50 plus in the churches, hey, I want you to make sure that your life is matching the doctrine of holiness. God says, be ye holy for I am holy. Holiness isn't for the, the holiness group. Holiness is a biblical doctrine that God has given us and he wants us to live out in our lives. Every single one of us is to live this out. But you ladies are responsible within the church. Hey, make sure your life is balancing out with this doctrine of holiness. God is pure. He hates sin. So what does that mean? Your life ought to be the same way. You ought to hate sin. You ought to hate every evil work. And the idea of uh, balancing out here the behavior was was almost not that there were women priests, but it was almost that they were to conduct themselves in a priestly manner, in a sacred manner, with a reverence about life, with a reverence about the life that God had given them, with a reverence about the things of God, with a reverence about the services and about the church of the living God, which is the pillar and the ground of truth. They were to live with that type of, of distinction, a demeanor that was just reverent, priestly respectful towards the things of God. It's only mentioned here in the New Testament. This was to become the ladies, 50, uh, 50 plus, the aged women. But it also says not false accusers. Now, this is very, very, very interesting. It's not that men can't be false accusers, but specifically it's being challenged here to the, the older women. Don't be a false accuser. Do you know what this word is in the original? And you might recognize it. It is this diabolos. Does anyone recognize that word, diabolos? It's the word for devil. Do you remember what Revelation tells us about Satan? He is the accuser of the brethren. He is the accuser of the brethren. You know what Titus is telling the ladies there? Is to tell the ladies? Hey, make sure that you don't take Satan's side and become an accuser of the brethren. Well, how does that look? Well, it looks like gossip. Looks like starting rumors. It's like texting something about someone that you don't know is true. Is that a problem? Well, evidently it was. Does it happen today? Yeah. You know, there's some things that just aren't your business. There's some things that you just don't need to say. Well, it's true. Yeah. But it didn't need to be said. You know, a good rule of thumb when it comes to what we speak about, if you're not a part of the problem or a part of the solution, you don't need to be talking about it. And there have been many of churches that have been hindered and hurt behind the scenes. You know, a lot of times you won't hear it. It's not, it's not public. Gossip, gossip is something that happens behind the scenes. And you can sometimes feel when it's running around in the church. You start hearing, uh, hearing ripples of it. But very rarely can you put the finger on it. And Titus says, don't be diabolos. Now, I don't even like the sound of that. There's not a woman here that says, I want to I be like the devil and accuse. But you know what? If we gossip, it is. And there are a, young, a younger generation that is watching 
And boy, you talk about turning them away from the things of God. Just allow words of gossip to come out of your mouth. Just allow them to see you slander somebody and and put them down or to start a, a rumor. And so here it is. They weren't to be exchanging about the latest scandals. There are some things that just need to be left unsaid. Why? Because you're not a part of the problem or you're not a part of the solution. And you know what? I just encourage you. I encourage you with everything and with the authority of God's word. If you're dealing with that right now, if, if that's something you're involved in, you need to stop. You need to stop. You don't know all the details of why someone's done such as so, uh, someone or why someone's not here or why. You don't know all the details. You can say stuff, but it's not going to help. Unless you're part of the problem or part of the solution, just keep it quiet. Uh, think about praising God. You talk about squelching your prayer life, just gossip. Just gossip. Boy, it's going to be hard to pray. Uh, it's going to be hard to pray about the one that you're gossiping about. It's going to be really hard. And so he says, hey, don't be a false accuser. And, and I'd say this, if you're running into somebody within the church that is false accusing or being a diabolos or just accusing the brethren or bringing up questions, if that's come up in your conversation, first I'd just encourage you to say, you know what, I really don't want to hear that. And stop it with you. Say, I'm, I'm going to be done with this phone call. It's, it stops here. You're sitting down at lunch. I'm going to be done with this, this, this conversation. We're not having this conversation anymore. But uh, one way, one surefire way to take care of it, if someone's gossiping about another person, say, uh, listen, I'm going to give you 24 hours to go and talk to that person, or I'm going to tell them about this conversation. And stop it with you. Gossip is a sin against God, and it will not help the next generation. It will not help the unity of this church. Now, I'm not the one that, that picked it out. Men can gossip, but God specifically tells the older women with a little bit extra time, maybe on the hands, don't be, don't be yapping about things that don't, that don't apply. I'm not being disrespectful at all. But it's so important to the unity of a church. It's so important. There are going to be things that you don't understand in church life. Church life sometimes is just fun, Right? It, it, it's interesting. It, it, it's, it's complex. Why? Because you have a bunch of sinners getting together, right? And we all need help. And you know, there's going to be things that you just don't agree with or you don't understand or you don't have a full perspective on. And then rather than commenting on it or accusing or assuming the worst, find something to praise God about or praise that person about. And so this is so important. He says, don't be given to much wine. What's the idea? That you can drink a little bit? Listen, I, I, I already dealt with this a couple weeks back. The fact is, all of our drink today is strong drink of Scripture. It's so much more in its, uh, its alcohol content today than it was in Scripture. And they had processes where they weren't able to, to keep things refrigerated and keep things preserved. And yes, some of it turned to, to wine. I do not believe with, uh, at all, at all, people always, I just had someone this past week tell me, well, Jesus made wine and suggested that he made alcoholic wine and provided that to somebody to drink. My Jesus did not give people wine that it was alcoholic. I can just tell you that right now. And here's why. Because he said in the book of Habakkuk, woe to him that gives his neighbor drink. It would contradict his very deity if he were to have um, created alcoholic wine. I believe that was the best fresh-squeezed grape juice that anyone had ever tasted there at that wedding. It was amazing. And why we think that Jesus would make something for a minute, 
He created creation. It was beautiful until man got uh, messed uh, messed it up. There wasn't, there wasn't fermentation process. There wasn't rot before uh, when God created everything. It was only after the fall that that came into the picture. And to think that our creator God would get a, a group of people together and say, here's some rotten grape juice. Now get drunk. No, I'm, I'm, I'm being absolutely serious. This is an issue that is going on in our culture today, right now in churches, just like a, debating over this matter. Well, here it is, once again. Hey, older ladies, don't be going to the bottle. Pour it out. You think that's, you know what? I, I have no, I don't know you and I don't know what's inside of your refrigerator, but friends, I don't put it past people struggling with that right within our own church. And I warn you against it. It's not going to help you. God just said, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, stay away from it. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And I would be remiss if I didn't say this again and say it again. But drunkenness is not a cliff you fall off of. All of a sudden, I'm drunk. I, can, I hear people say this. Well, I can, I, can, I can drink one beer without getting drunk. No, from the very first sip, science, science, true science. I know we hear a lot about science, right? And we've, we've gone weary of hearing about that. But the reality is, that from the very first sip, you begin being buzzed. You begin being impaired. And so drunkenness is a sliding scale. It is not a cliff. And when God warns us against drunkenness, he doesn't even want us to even get on the trail. So the easiest way to avoid that is just don't drink alcohol. I mean, it's just, it's, it, it, is, it is unconscionable to me to think that God's people are arguing over this. And so I just, I again lay, uh, lay the groundwork. No one who's been an alcoholic will ever say, you know what, get, get that close. I remember uh, back, it was probably about 2008, there was a certain book that came out that seemed to really uh, say that, hey, uh, you know, uh, you, can, you can drink socially, written to Christians just like us. And I just remember telling the, the author of the book, listen, I could not give this to a person who's just come to Christ and coming out of alcoholism and expect them to, um, to walk away saying, you know what, I shouldn't drink. It's just unconscionable that this is going on. But it is, and you need to be aware of it. And you need to stand your ground on it. So older ladies, hey, don't, don't be getting drunk. Uh, you stay away from the bottle, stay away from the alcohol, drink grape juice, enjoy that. But you, you, have, no, you have no need. This will do you no uh, spiritual help. So he says, I want you to live that way. Um, by the way, uh, God commanded the priests not to get involved in alcohol. And, uh, and that's just another, another little aspect. The Bible says that the New Testament Christian is a priest before God. Just stay away from the stuff. Stay away from it. So it just keeps coming up here. Evidently, it was a problem there in, in the island of Crete. And uh, I don't know if you've watched TV or a little bit of it, but it's a problem in America too. And it's a problem in the churches. So it, it just keeps coming up in the Word of God. A teacher of good things. Marked by teaching what is good as opposed to what is evil. Listen, we can teach people a lot of things. We ought to teach them godly things, ladies. Teach the next generation godly things. As you come into here, into services like this, be looking for opportunities to teach things that are wholesome and godly and good. And it's only found here in the New Testament. Again, this, this word, teach them good things. But you're also to be a teacher of the younger women. Now, what's going on here? Um, I want us to understand Titus... I don't know uh, his marital status, but Titus was not in place to um, be holding one-on-one Bible studies with the young women. Okay? So there was, there was just an appropriateness 
that needed to be, uh, needed to be uh, 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 taken care of here. They, he needed to act in appropriateness towards the young ladies. Do you, any of you remember what uh, Timothy was told how to treat the young ladies within the church? Well, I'm, glad, I'm glad we're here tonight so we can be uh, helped along. It, he was told to treat them as sisters. Well, that means that he was, gonna, he was not going to uh, look at them in, in the wrong way. He was going to treat them in a right and proper and appropriate, appropriate way. Same here with Titus. So, Titus, I don't, want you, I don't want you in the role of having to teach the younger women. Someone else needs to do that. Ah, older ladies, it's your responsibility who stood. Your responsibility is the younger women of this church. How about all the, the, the women who are 50 years and below? Why don't you go ahead and stand here tonight? 50 years and below. That's a pretty big, all the ladies, 50 years and below. Every lady, if you're a child, every lady. If you're a lady here tonight, every lady, 50 years and below. All right? So older ladies, this is your responsibility. These are the people that you're supposed to be investing your life in. You may be seated, thank you for standing. But you know, sometimes I'll, I'll hear an older lady maybe not gripe because that, that, that's not something that we do inside a church. But, you know, maybe, maybe be like, oh, why did they do that? And sometimes I'll just challenge them. Why don't you talk to them? Why don't you talk to them? And by the way, younger ladies who just stood, if an older lady in this church comes to you with a, a spirit-filled attitude, a sweet attitude, and just communicates something to you, hey, I'm concerned about you, you ought to hug their neck. I am, I am dead serious. You ought to say thank you for caring about it. Now, we all realize that sometimes when we're, when we're bringing something up, we don't always say the right words and you, you know, things might get ruffled. Let's put all that aside. If someone is concerned enough to come to you and say, hey, I'm concerned for you. Could I pray with you about this? Could I encourage you about something? I see this going on with your family. Could I just encourage you? You ought to just say thank you. Why? Because they're fulfilling their responsibility to you. Now, this means that this is for the older men and older women too. This means that we have to be living a life that supports us doing that towards the next generation. Are you with me on that? It means the older women, you have to be living a life that when you go to the younger women, they're not like, oh yeah, well, I saw you gossiping last week. I don't want to hear anything you have to say. And they would be right. Because you aren't, you aren't walking in the Spirit because you're gossiping and now you're trying to, to help this young lady along in her life. And he says, I want you to teach the, um, the younger women. And what in specific are you to teach the younger women? You're to teach them to instruct them in wisdom. You're to be the one that takes truth and applies it into the life. You're to help them along in that. It's not saying you become their pastor. That's not the idea. It, what it is saying, it is you're to help them understand how to apply truth into their, their life. That's the responsibility. Teach them to be sober. Don't go to extremes. Now, young ladies who just stood, is it possible for you to go to extremes in life? Just shake your head. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Is it possible to go to extremes? Right? It is. Life is heavy. And sometimes, especially for young moms, life gets heavy. And sometimes, you know, there can be some extremes. Well, I'm just worthless, and I can't do anything right. And You know what I'm talking about? I don't look that good, and I don't have anything to wear. And you know how it goes, all right? So, you older ladies are to help the younger ladies to balance out. You're to help them to 
to understand, hey, I've been through this before. I've weathered that storm. Let me pray with you. And you're to bring some stability to them. Yeah, we can go back and forth. Young ladies might be able to go back and forth and, 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 and just go to some extremes. But no, exhort them to be sober. Then it says to love their husbands. Now it's interesting here, uh, over in Ephesians chapter 5, the, young, uh, the, uh, the men are told to love their wives. But here, it's not the same, the same love your husband. It's not the same as men are being commanded. It, it's told, it, it, it's this, that the young women are to be exhorted to be characterized as a husband lover, as their husband lover. <laughs> right, <laughs> not other husband lover, as a hu- their husband lover. They are to love them. And that is the characterize. You ought to be able to, to look at their life and say, they love their husband, warts and all. They love their husband. Flaws and all, the problems and all, they love their husband. And it's the older ladies that say, you know what? Sometimes I know it can be difficult. Sometimes I know there's challenges. And I've weathered some of those, those marital challenges. But you can do this. And I just encourage you to love your husband and, and encourage him and support him. It doesn't mean that it's overlooking the flaws. But you as the older women are to exhort and to apply the truth into the younger women's life, love your husband. I can guarantee you, every one of you older ladies, every one of you older ladies have weathered some marital storms that you could help another younger lady with. Or that you could prepare some of the single young ladies in our church and say, hey, don't, when you're you're looking for a spouse, hey, make sure that you keep this in mind. And I'm praying for you, and I'm rooting for you, and I'm going to have this on my daily prayer list that God allows you to marry in purity and marry a man that, that, that honors God and is a, a leader and, and so on. So a, a husband lover, one who is characterized by their love for their husband, again, only here in the New Testament, but then love their children, loving their children. Again, the idea of characterized as a child lover. So they're not saying, you know, I, I don't want to be a mother. I just have these, you know, these rats running around. No, no, no. Encourage the younger women to love and embrace their kids and be characterized by that. This is a stage that God has given you in life. And embrace that. Yes, it's hard. And no, it's not getting any easier in this crazy day in which we live. But love your children. Be characterized by that. They are also to be discreet. Discreet. What's the idea? Moderate. Uh, again, the idea, same thing told to the older, uh, older men. But hey, make sure that you have control over your passions. Do you know that today, do you know that today that it's around 30%, as I understand the statistic, around 30% of women who are getting involved in pornography? You know, it's just a guy's issue. No, no, not in this day. Hey, encourage the younger women to be pure to have control over their, their passions and their desires. The next word is chaste, to be pure. To be pure, to be holy, having no faults. Doesn't mean perfect, but having no faults. That nothing that, that, that is dominating their life. Nothing that is wrong that is dominating their life. They're keeping a short God. They're, they're remaining pure, even as Jesus Christ is pure. And then he says, I want you to make sure that you encourage them to be keepers at home. Now, this flies in the face of much of what we see in society, but this is, is, is 
the idea of homemaking and delighting in that, characterized by applying oneself diligently to caring for one's house and household, especially looking at it as like, this is my job. This is my God-given job. Now, I realize in our society that we, we sometimes have uh, a, a, a husband and wife working outside of the home, and sometimes that's by necessity. Sometimes that is because a couple wants the American dream and they're not willing to submit themselves to God's way of doing life. They want the American dream so much that they have to go on two incomes. Okay? Older ladies, you're to encourage younger ladies not to, to keep their passions in check, to encourage them in that way and pray for them in that way. But listen, everything in society, and I realize you say, Pastor, you saw the gas prices, you see the inflation, we, we, we just got to make ends meet. God knows all that. Listen, the, the Proverbs 31 lady was a hard and diligent worker. Right? Are you with me on that? So I understand. I'm not, I'm not knocking against the, the necessities of life. But I think we really have to just simply stop and ask the question, am I working outside of the home because of need or because I want an American dream? I, I want to live at this level and I'm not willing to live here. I, I got to live here. Listen, there, you only have one chance to, to mother the kids. And I realize most of our, uh, many of our women were, uh, are at home. Now, I'm not trying to point anyone out. This is just where we are in, in the scripture. But here's what, here's what is, is told. They are to be a joyful keeper at home. And who's supposed to encourage them in that way? Listen, you see, older ladies, you see a young woman come in frazzled into this church. It is your job to encourage them. Hey, you're doing the right thing. So proud of you for staying home with your kids. So proud of you for making those sacrifices. I'm so proud of you for not being a woman that desires all those things. I'm so, I, I, and I'm thankful for you. I'm praying for you and, and just encourage them along. And so, by the way, uh, women being keepers at home does not mean, ladies, this is a perfect opportunity for a good, solid amen. Uh, it, it does not mean that the men sit around while the wives do all the work at home. All right? It does not mean that. Uh, it, it, that is a part of just being a good husband, loving your spouse and washing some dishes. Hey, uh, some of the kids mentioned, uh, boy, that's my least favorite. Uh, it's all right for a husband to load the dishwasher and unload the dishwasher, put away laundry and, and, and so on. And you say, not my husband. And, and it, well, we'll just leave it there and, uh, and go on. But it does not mean the ladies being encouraged to be keepers at home does not mean that the husbands don't help out at all. Uh, it's not to the exclusion of that. So, the last thing that Titus is told, make sure that the older women are teaching them to be good, to be good. What is that? To have positive qualities, positive qualities. Uh, the Bible says this in Proverbs 30 and verse number 23, and we're going we're gonna to bring this to an end right here at the end of this, uh, end of this uh, passage of Scripture. It says this, that Proverbs 30 and verse number 23, it says, for an odious woman when she is married, and what does that have to do? It says the earth is disquieted for several things. And it gives a bunch of things that are just kind of out of balance. But then it mentions an odious woman when she's married. This is a, a woman who is hateful when she's gotten married, and she's the one uh, running around trying to flaunt it in everyone else's mind, you know, everyone else's face. She just kind of has a wretched personality, like she's just not really nice at all, is the idea. It's not, it's not proper. God tells the older women, help the younger women, help the younger women to have positive qualities, positive characteristics. We live in a culture that women don't, aren't being taught to be women anymore. Are you with me on that? 
They're not, they're taught to, to blend the genders and, 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 and not to glory in the femininity that God has created. Older women, you are to encourage the younger women in this, in this matter. And so they are to be uh, good. They're to be encouraged in that way. And then lastly, obedient to their own husbands. That is not uh, be a doormat for your husband, but to live in the order that God has established for the home. And listen, ladies, younger, older, it doesn't matter here. Uh, listen, God has set that, that order up. And sometimes you want to get in the way and, and take charge and, and be God in his life. Listen, if you'll just duck and let God hit him a good one, God will take care of it a lot better than you can. I'm, I'm, I'm just dead serious about that. God has a way of dealing with men as men need to be dealt with. But I guarantee you this, if you nag it and, and if you go after it, you're going to probably stunt that from happening. You're going to probably withhold that from happening. And you just continue to have a good, good characteristics. And as I just mentioned that a moment ago, you know, older women, there's, a, there's, a, there's such a sensuality that has crept into, into uh, just our whole culture, but it creeps right into the church. I'm telling you how important it is for you to encourage the younger women, don't go after that. That's not true beauty. Beauty is the hidden man of the heart. And elevate what God elevates in their, in their lives. And we could go on, 1 Peter 3 and verse number 1 through 4 really gives a lot of instructions uh, about how the home is to operate. But listen, be a, be a wife, young lady. Be a wife that supports your husband, that, that understands the created order and glories in what God has done. We could go on, but we're going to stop right there. And uh, there's a lot more. <laughs> there is a lot more in this passage of Scripture. Uh, very practical, isn't it? Very practical. And may God just help us to put this into practice this week. Older men, 50 and older, you have your work cut out for you. Older ladies and young ladies, next week we'll get to the young men and finish out the rest of the church in this passage of Scripture. Let's stand for prayer tonight and ask God to help us. Father, we, we are so grateful for your goodness to us and just your practical word that you've given us this night. I thank you for these, these people that have given attention to your word this evening. And I pray that you would help us to put these things into practice for your glory's sake, not for our own, but for your glory's sake and for the good of your name in this community, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. With your heads bowed, I think we ought to pray before we leave. Maybe you, as an older woman, uh, older man, ought to just come to this altar and say, God, I want that for our church. I want to be that type of person for this church family. I want to be that for the next generation, and I'm committing that to you. Could I challenge you in that way? Why don't we come and pray about it before we leave tonight? Uh, even before the music starts playing, I encourage you, let's come and pray about this matter tonight. Older ladies, older men, let's pray about this, would you? Come on. You stood a moment ago, older men, older ladies. Why don't we pray about this? This is a heavy responsibility that you have, but it's one that God will enable you to, enable you to do. Older ladies, could I ask you this question? Who is your young woman in this church that you're advising and encouraging? Who is the young lady in this church that you're advising and encouraging? Who is that lady? Who's the lady that, has, that you have their phone number and you call and you pray with during the week? Men, I could ask you the same thing. Who's your young man? Who's the one that you're investing in and you're praying for on a daily basis? that you're modeling the Christian life to.
love it, we receive it, and we want to apply it. And I thank you for the older men and women of this church. I pray your blessing upon them, even this week, as they meditate on these things and apply them into their lives. And I pray that you just give a wonderful unity to the generations here at Grace Baptist Church. Continue your work forward, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's be seated for a second.